All right, everybody. Well, welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast, episode 163, man. It's a lot of episodes, and we are excited uh, that we are joined by World Series of Poker bracelet winner, prior guest, uh, John Redding, a fantastic dude in the Minnesota poker community, and we're excited uh, to hear about kind of what's been going on since the bracelet and also uh, some of the things that he's doing, I know, now outside of poker. So excited to catch up with him. As always, we are officially sponsored by Running Aces, Racetrack, Casino, and now Hotel, and also by Learn Pro Poker. So we'll bring John in here, and just for those of you who don't know John, um, quite the resume. Uh, I know you haven't been doing this always full-time, but uh, looking at the Hendon Mob and looking at some things that I didn't know about you, uh, we had the huge year in 2015, right? The World Series of Poker, uh, six caches in 30 days, I saw, and sort of bookended uh, by the uh, the bracelet, yeah, mm-hmm. the the one k no limit hold'em hyper turbo, which we got to talk about. What does that look like? Because I played the thirty dollar tournament at Aces, so I know what hyper turbo is. I'm guessing it wasn't quite like that. Very fast. Uh, <laughs> but you got the bracelet there, the two hundred fifty two thousand on the bracelet there, and then you ended that thirty day stretch uh, taking fourth place in the little one for one drop, mm-hmm. uh, the eleven hundred dollar buy in there for another two hundred thirteen k. So not a bad little summer. Very good summer. So, so why don't we just start there? Kind of welcome to the show, young man. Well, thank you, thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, so, just want me to talk about that summer. Well, let's talk about the summer, man. Let's. Well, first, let me let me. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, introduce. We got Jim Reed, Chris Jones, Rob Rob Washam, and John Somsky also on here as well. But yeah, let's just let's just harken back to that summer. And I guess sure. you know we talked about it. You know, it's pretty fresh. It's only like maybe eighteen months after it happened the first time. But now we're mm-hmm. Now we're getting close to five years since that happened. I'd, I'd love to just start with kind of what what's really sticking in your mind from from five years ago. Like what still stuck with you after all this time? I mean, it was a it was a very special experience. I mean, I first off couldn't run better in tournaments, especially hyper turbo. <laughs> so I felt good. But um, being there at the final table and having all your friends there that was actually the best thing about it. Like just the atmosphere in that room was very palpable and took me a few days afterwards to kind of come down from that excitement. So that's really actually what sticks out to me. There's not really an experience like that. You can win other tournaments, but having all your friends kind of there is pretty special. I, I remember the picture and I can still kind of, I should have looked it up, but I can still kind of have it in my mind, the, the picture mm-hmm. of you and all the, the rail that you had there kind of after you won. It was a pretty awesome picture. It was very cool. <laughs> so I, I'm kind of curious and you, the panelists as always feel free to chime in here, but like, you know, I go and I, I go to the World Series and I like go in there and live vicariously through these people who are at the final table. And, you know, the rails can kind of get a little, not unruly, but excited and, you know, a lot of cheering. And mm-hmm. I mean, are you able to stay focused in that environment or is it somewhat distracting or is it motivating or? Once you're there, like you've played tournament poker now for a very long period of time to get to that point, you're just really zoned in. I mean, on breaks, maybe you get a little bit distracted, but I, it wasn't too big of an issue actually i just when you're there you're just like focused on the table and you're focusing on each hand you're not paying attention you just don't have enough time to pay attention to everything else was, was your rail pretty loud or were they pretty quiet they're pretty loud <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's, 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 I, I was fortunate to have a very good rail so. who, who was the loudest person on your rail let's call somebody out tom hammers <laughs> hammers <Why not>? <laughs> <laughs> oh that was fun yeah you had a lot of folks there that were that were out there mm-hmm. now were they all people that were were they there for the world series and just happened to come over or were the, did you have people actually fly out specifically for that um a lot of them were just there for like the world series or there for like the weekend so i mean i had kuvain too on the rail so I yeah mean, it, was, uh, it was special yeah that that's really awesome dude is there any uh any particular hands or any anything that kind of really stands out from that final table? Like, man, that was either a turning point or when you just when you realized this might actually happen. I mean, were there any of those sort of defining moments in the final table? Yeah, um, there was um, one person uh, shoved into me actually, blind versus blind, and I woke up with kings in the big blind, and it's like, okay, snap call, and like right after that, it's like, wow, okay. I mean, that was a very good scenario right there. And just kind of like started feeling it after that. Did that, that was make- a, just a very fast paced tournament though with 20 minute blinds. I mean, it just, it's going very quick. The whole final table lasted 
two, two and a half hours. Oh, is that right? Yeah. It was a very fast table. The little one drop lasted like <laughs> nine hours and then like another hour and a half after I busted. So wow, like a whole completely different um, kind of situation. So let's talk about that a little bit. Like how much do you, uh, do you, I mean, here, here's one of the things that we've not struggled with, or maybe I've struggled with is, you know, we talked to, you know, very good players like yourself. We talked to other pro players who are used to playing, you know, they see hour long levels as sort of a, high, a turbo sort of tournament. And, you know, a lot of us recreational players, we're playing bar league tournaments where it's 12 minute levels and you get 1500 chips or it's sure. the running aces, 15 minute or 20 minute levels and 10,000 chips. And, you know, so, you know, we, we try to take all of this great information on how to play patient to make decisions and all these things. And we try to then translate it into, well, what does that look like for our game? So when you look at playing a hyper turbo or the the little the little one for one drop, like are there strategic changes that you make or is it really, you know, at the end of the day, here's how many blinds I have and here's the right thing to do in these situations. So for the hyper turbo, actually, you're going to be rewarded a lot more for being aggressive because you just got to pick spots and go with it. And fortunately, I came from an online background of I was comfortable in that that environment and then like I busted a hand I busted a hand but you have to go completely all out in spots where you don't have it and just play what you're repping and have no fear because yeah once you have fear once you kind of hold back once you kind of say ah all right no only eight thousand instead of ten thousand it's kind of game over just because of how quick it goes versus a little one drop a lot slower pace so you're just you're waiting for hands you're waiting for spots you don't have to bluff as, or you don't have to pick as many spots just to kind of go at it. Yeah. And so, but then the ranges of hands are very important always. Okay. So you do have to kind of just say, well, I'm going to go with this, but I mean, are you sort of, is there a translation or can you help us think through like, how do we translate? Like when we talk to say, you know, the Jonathan Littles and the Matt Berkey's and the Fedor Holtz's sure. and the Daniel Legrandes of the world who are playing these things and they're saying, Oh, here's kind of how you need to play a 30 big blind stack or a 50 big blind stack. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how do we take that information? I know this is very broad, but take that information and say, well, what does that mean for me playing a 30 or 50 big blind stack in 15 minute level tournament? Like, should I be like anticipating the next levels or like, how do I translate those things? I mean, since your time is like kind of more cut in half or even more extremely so like a fourth, uh, you're just going to want to be more aggressive. Like I said, your, your range, your opening range is going to have to increase. You're going to have to be very observant about who's playing slightly tighter than other people at the table. Mm. Cause you're going to want to take advantage of those spots. Cause you're just trying to win chips and hopefully not with seeing a showdown. You're trying to win a lot pre-flop. You're trying to bluff them off on the flop, bluff them off in the turn, or if you have the best hand, just take it down there. You're not trying to get into flips. The more flips you get into in that type of tournament situation, the more likely you're to bust. Uh, okay. Okay. Versus little one drop, it's just um, this is kind of the same, but you're not. It's again not as fast paced, so you can wait. You can be more patient. You can be more selective with your spots. You're still going to want to be selective. You're still going to try to want to play it as GTO as possible, but you really want to be paying attention to the table and figure out where people are varying in their play styles because. It's it's so quick. You have to pick up on something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. Well, I have some more questions. I want to make sure I leave space for the uh, the panelists if they've got anything. Sure. Uh, feel free to jump in here. They, see, they know me. They know that I've got like a million questions <laughs> in the holster. Uh, Chris, did you have something? Nice. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I suppose since we're on the topic, um, sure. I was uh, congrats on your really recent run in the Avalanche. Yeah. Um, Thank you. I was a really really awesome run and uh i actually so i watched the stream of that table mm-hmm. and sort of as we're kind of talking about this uh this topic of when you sort of pick up your aggression uh you don't have to give away the farm about like what you actually saw at that table but like more in general i noticed there was this point at that table where you seemed to really really pick up the aggression level you were started opening early position with like jack four suited and some hands like that and so i'm wondering what it is more in general since you don't have to give away what you actually were reading there what what in general things would should rec players be looking for when they're thinking about now's the time to ramp it up now's the time to open up my 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 opening range uh this is the time to open jack four suited um what 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 kinds of things do we need to be considering when we're when we're looking at that so normally when i sit down at a table for the first like hour or two i'm paying attention to how 
excuse me, how often somebody's going to three bet, how often they're going to defend their big blind, small blinds, um, how aggressive they're going to be, um, what types of spots they pick to be aggressive, um, are they passive? And then kind of go with that, kind of opening up my range accordingly. If they're going to play too tight, well, I'm going to open up my range, then take advantage and just try to take some blinds. So as the table got shorter too, like six-handed, seven-handed, I could be even more aggressive knowing that certain spots were just more tight. And that's where the jack four comes into play and seven four, seven three, something like that. It just it just became I just want to take these blinds and this is I should just be opening a lot right now. I love that question, Chris, primarily because like I think a lot of us recreational players we hear, oh, you know, when when you get shorter handed or whatever you got to just become more aggressive and we don't necessarily know where and how to do that. So we just start, we start raising Jack four at times where it's really not prudent. You know what I mean? No. Yeah, go ahead. Definitely not necessarily. You just ramp up the aggression. That's not going to be a winning formula. You have to pay attention to if your aggression is going to be respected. If it's not going to be respected, you're just kind of putting chips in there and uh, I mean, good luck. You might have to make a hand if they're going to start calling you down. Hmm. So you have to figure out, where people are going to respect your aggression versus where they're not going to respect your aggression. And then you go, all right, this is the range of hands I'm going to rep with these bet sizes. And then you play accordingly. So is that a conscious thought for you or is that sort of second nature now at this point? Like when you see that going from nine to eight to seven, are you just sort of like, it's just sort of naturally you realize people are folding too much. So you increase aggression. Or are you like consciously thinking about those strategic adjustments? Uh, I guess it's kind of a little bit natural. Like when I first sit down at the table, all I'm doing is trying to absorb as much information as possible. But even that information I absorb right away, it might change three, four hours later. So it's, it's kind of hard to say, but yeah, there is no substitute for experience in training and studying. I mean, for over the last 15, 16 years now, I've put in about 15,000 hours with studying, playing, watching videos, like just a very, a lot of, a lot of time. Yeah. <laughs> so you start developing a large like repertoire of hands too. And you start like kind of realizing, okay, this is how this hand will be played out the majority of the time. But if this card comes and it will change slightly and that's just kind of how you build, build your range, build your understanding of what to do. I love that. And I, I know John had something here, but before we I, I turn it over to John, since we talked about the avalanche, I'm curious uh, if you're willing to share kind of the, the thought process of the, the chop stuff at the end. It was, <laughs> it was so interesting. Like I just wanted to be in your head. You know, I, I liked, I like kind of how you handled the whole chop thing going into the final two. And then, uh, you know, Rich offered you the, 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 the even money the even chop and, and I, I think was he like, was he like a three to one favorite. I couldn't really tell the chip. It, it was close to that. I mean, it was a fantastic deal. But, but I, you like, weren't sure because I know you want the trophy, right? I really want the trophy. That's why I said no to the first. I know the first it was so interesting. To I watch really that. wanted to win, but it's like this. This deal was very, very, very good. I was like at my very computer, good. like alone, and I was like literally going, "John, take the deal." But like, I know you <laughs> wanted the trophy too. But I'm like, it's you know, I couldn't see all the chips. But like, it looked like it was like three to one. So I'm kind of curious, like Close. your your thought perspective on that, if you don't mind sharing, kind of, sure. you know, just just your personal perspective on obviously the money, you know, is a, is a big part of it, but wanting that trophy, like what does that trophy mean to you uh, personally? I mean, it's been a while since I won a live tournament. So okay. I really, is really that what I wanted it. Was it, was it the actual trophy or was it just winning? Just, just winning. Yeah. Just getting first. Like yeah. I'm, whenever I play a tournament, all I think about is first and more, normally I'm not going to get first, but that's just always right. like where my goal is. And that's just always how I, think about going into a tournament okay so it's like even when it got done three hand it's like oh well i might bust third here but it's like i still want to keep going for it yeah and it was like a fair deal i just really wanted the trophy so it's like, yeah it seemed like that's kind of what everybody wanted right i mean that was kind of the interesting thing about what i could hear on the feed was you know everybody kind of wanted the tro- i mean rich was sort of more was more indifferent mm-hmm. but the other you two were kind of i just want the trophy and i kind of loved that competitive spirit and i was trying to I, I was trying to put myself in that in your shoes. There, it's very interesting to to watch. It was good TV. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad it could be. <laughs> <laughs> John, did you have something you wanted to shoot in there? Yeah, um, I, I'm. Oh, uh, John, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Uh, so 2015 was 
quite the year for Minnesota at the WSOP. Mm-hmm. That was the year that uh, Christian Pham accidentally <laughs> entered the Deuce to Seven No Limit uh, Tournament 1500 and ended up taking the bracelet down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Minnesota overall had a phenomenal mm-hmm. turnout that year. What was it like to be part of that? Mm. Did you feel a camaraderie with the other Minnesota players? Was I mean, you mentioned already that you had a huge rail, mm-hmm. but my understanding, and I was not there, I was stuck here in Minnesota, uh, but my understanding is that there was a lot of people going back and forth watching the different players, and it was kind of a, a, that there was a lot of community out, out there mm-hmm. for Minnesota. It was, yeah, it was, like you said, it was a huge summer for Minnesota. It was just, it was an exciting summer too. There was always something going on in like every tournament really. So it was like, if you're not in tournament, you just go sweat somebody else's rail. (laughs) So. Did that make, did that change your ease being out there versus feeling like all alone without any friends or, you know? I mean, I was very fortunate to like have a big score right away, win that bracelet right away that summer. It just took all the pressure off that entire summer. Like it was, it was just focused. Like, I mean, I just grinded the tournaments when I was out there, but like all the pressure was off right away, which is really helpful. Just seeing all my friends too at that final table was really helpful. No, I mean, the whole experience was pretty special. Even the 4th of July celebration at the end was very special. So. (laughs) Fantastic summer, like really. So you probably fun. recommend if you if you go out there, try to win a bracelet your first event, and then <laughs> the rest of it smooth sailing. Definitely. Okay, easy enough. The good, good. <laughs> these, these are why we have the pros on. I mean, they, they tell us things like try to win a bracelet right away. I mean, these are these are insights that you just can't get anywhere else besides record. No, just just bink right away and pressure goes away <laughs> duh why didn't that so obvious like why did we not think of this <laughs> that was a wonderful summer oh man and that, you know that's it's sort of what we're what we're trying to build here i mean a lot of people have those things already built in the, the relationships that you formed for 15 years of being a pro and all of those things a lot of us recreational players the feedback we get a lot is you know i, I play with people but nobody really wants to learn the game you know they're just playing for fun which is perfectly part of what they're doing. So what we love doing here, it's kind of connecting people sure. with other people who want to learn the game because then we have these virtual rails. Like people are on discord talking about running deep, but you know, in the double stack at running aces or, you know, this summer. And so I think, you know, what you tapped on, what, what sticks with you here almost five years later is the friendships, the community. And I think that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's what we found here is that people are just craving that myself included people that are going to be excited for you when you run deep and they're going to be there when you, you know, make that final table and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And I think that's just an underestimated part of a lot of our experiences doing it in the context of community. It was very cool. Minnesota has like an amazing poker community too. Like definitely shout out to that whole community. It's, it's, it's pretty special. We're lucky. Now, now Jim Reed is on the call and he's from, he's from Canada. So we're, we're sort of adopting him <laughs> into the Minnesota poker community. It's real sweet of y'all. I got to tell you, <laughs> it feels right at home. I've even started subbing out my Steelers hat out of respect for you Vikings fans. <laughs> Did you hear that? He started subbing out. That's awesome. He started subbing out his Steelers hat. <laughs> well, I was going to, I was going to follow up kind of on the, on the summer. You saw this actually, John, right before we came on the, on Twitter from Louis Hillman, uh, who had a question for you, kind of wanted some insight here. He said, I'd love to hear John talk about if he had any trouble finding motivation after his huge summer, the year he won a bracelet, mm-hmm. any tips for the mental game and finding motivation after big success? I mean, I'll just talk about it. Actually, probably right now, I think I played better than I do in 2015 because mm. I just really worked on fundamentals very, very strongly for the last few years. And the results didn't come at the moment, but um, I'm just really, really happy where I am actually with my game now. And the year after I had the big summer, I probably played the worst poker of my life and accordingly lost a bunch of money. So, cause yeah, you just, you get kind of wrapped up into it. And you have such a, a big summer like that. It's like, all right, I'll just start playing every tournament. But even when you're playing every tournament, you're not really focusing on playing good poker while you're playing those tournaments. You're just kind of playing one after the other. And then personally, 2016 was a very, very difficult year for me as well. So it was 
I mean, the highs and the lows, but that's yeah. life. <laughs> and you just kind of um, take it as it comes. But I mean, I've had multiple, so 2015 is the summer I had the big um, live summer, but I've had some very good online scores too. And definitely lots of highs and lows um, within that demographic as well. And I mean, it's humbling. I mean, it's humbling when you have a lot and then you lose it. And yeah. um, eventually you learn to not lose it after you make it and you start making better financial decisions and be a lot more careful. You take every tournament as, hey, this is, I'm just going to play my best this game. If I win the one before, maybe I'll take it, take a little bit, take a break, make sure that I'm going to focus when I come back and play the next tournament. It's a, it's a learning experience for sure. Because are, are you, so it sounds like you are sort of attributing part of the 2016 down year to uh, playing suboptimally. I mean, obviously with tournament poker, mm-hmm. we just know there's variance, right? There's just, sometimes mm-hmm. things go well, sometimes they don't, but it sounds like you're, you're saying you think part of the 2016 struggle was actually my, playing suboptimally. Yeah. My, I didn't feel like my focus was as laser sharp as it okay. was in 2015, as it's been more recently. Okay. Like I just kind of had like a, a lull year then. And then 2017, it started coming back and was working really, really hard during that year. And then I had a good start to 2018, but 2018, 2019 have probably been actually my two hardest poker years so far. But okay. That's all right. That's just well, what happens well, sometimes. Last weekend helped a little bit. Hopefully the, the avalanche helped, <laughs> helped recover some of that, right? <laughs> Definitely. Well, I, I'd love to kind of let's just thinking poker strategy again, just as sure. you look at your own success or, you know, you're, you're surrounded by very good players as well mm-hmm. with all the tournaments that you play and, and cash that you play and stuff. Like what, what do you think are like the real ultimate keys for poker success? I mean, obviously there's, you know, some people can learn GTO, but when we're talking about the recreational players. Like what should we be paying attention to that you see as the common themes for, for players that are actually moving up in stakes or consistently successful or whatever. What are those characteristics? Never get into the mindset of chasing losses. If you like lose a tournament, don't go try to go win it back in the next tournament. That's always going to kind of spiral into a bad kind of situation. Um, Make sure that even if you don't win the tournament, like go back and look at what you did during that tournament. Make sure that you do, you did the plays that you, we're happy that you made, or if you made mistakes, understand why you've made them really analyze each tournament after the fact and during the tournament. Like if you have some friends there, talk to them about hands. So it's, uh, yeah, kind of blank for a second there. No. And that's been, that's been, um, part of your game. I think when we, when we talked early, early on and you know, the, the bit I've known you a few conversations you know, I feel like the, the mental game of poker is something that you really do pay special attention to. Mm-hmm. Is that a fair assessment? No, definitely. In 2015, a lot, a lot. Like that was, my game was much more of a feel-based game. And now it's starting, like, I'm, I'm much more comfortable with my analytical side of my game recently and just trying to make that better and better. But also reincorporating my field game now back into that. And it's, it's, it's starting to really come together. So I'm happy. Yeah. Well, I, I want to shift gears. Unless uh, the panel, if you guys have any more like strategy poker discussions, I want to get into some other stuff. But if you, Rob, go ahead, man. Yeah, I just have one. Um, you talked about 15,000 hours of studying and watching mm-hmm. some videos. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have a group uh, that you get together with and you share this type of uh, learning experience with? Or are you sitting by yourself in your room <laughs> watching videos? So that's definitely changed over the years as well. <laughs> <laughs> so for the first 10 years, like before I even came on to the live scene. So um, back pre Black Friday, all I did was play online poker and had some big scores then, but I didn't really know anybody from Minnesota. Even then I just played strictly online. And um, I was kind of really on my own then too, because parents were adamantly against it. And they've only kind of started coming over now over the last couple of years. So for the first 12 years, it was just completely me on my own and trying to build as much as possible and having to stomach all the losses and it was tough. I mean, it was a grind, but it, I'm, I'm thankful for it. It, um, yeah, I'm sorry. I blanked. Can you just say your question again? Well, I was just wondering if you, if you have a group today that you, uh, 
you work with and, and improve your game with, kind of like what we're doing here with this group. Sure. We kind of share a lot of things. We go over hands. We go over strategies. Uh, are you using that today as part of your study? Yes. I have good friends now that I share like hands with and poker hands with. And even when I'm playing tournament poker, like I'll send them a text or like even just go walk over and talk to them about the, these hands, which you, I wish I'd done in the past. But back that's then, what I was going to ask. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> uh, back then, I just watched lots and lots of videos. Like I kind of made it kind of a ritual of like when I was going to bed, I'd just watch poker videos for three, two hours before I went to bed each night. And I just really enjoyed watching poker then. So it was, it was easy to do. And that was just kind of how I learned because I just kind of pay attention to, I mean, just so many hands. You're just being bombarded with so many hands and so many spots. And that helped. Yep. Um, okay. But I'm fortunate now to be able to share hands with um, good friends and very good players. And that's helping even more. <laughs> Great. And it's, it's interesting. Process. It's interesting because, you know, you talk to some people and they're, I think their personality is very much, you know, I can just watch videos and that's all I need to do or whatever. And they can learn their learning style, I guess, is, is that way. But the more and more people you meet, especially like the top level pros, mm. like Rob's kind of pointing out, they, they all have this group of people that they're, they're, they're going back and forth on in one using some medium or another just to, you know, how else could I think about this? How else could I play this? What are the bet sizing and all of those things? And I think it feels like, at least for, for some of us, that's how we're wired. That That's how we learn the best is the give and take, the wrestling. And, you know, we've had so many great discussions with, you know, with Rob and, you know, talking about bet sizing and some of those sure. things. And they, they just enrich your whole learning. So that's why I, was, I, I love the question because I think that seems to be one of those themes that we see. One of the themes that we see among good players is this Whoa. having a community. A big shout out then to Fedor Holes, Reiner Kempe, um, Seth and Sondheimer. Like they all had that group and they like compute, like went back and forth with hands for like for a long time. And then yeah. it finally started paying dividends and they just crushed the tournament scene for two, three years and they're still crushing. But like, yeah, that's all they did. All they did is work together. They worked as a like cohesive team on like every hand, every situation. It It really does help. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let, let's shift gears. We talked a little bit about the the mental game and and that sort of thing. But I know you're you've been going through school and you've you've got some other things going on. And yeah. I think um, it, it feels unrelated, but I know it it is related in a sense of you know this this whole mental game of poker and stuff. But like, talk a bit about what's going on in your world, what you've been going to school for, and kind of where where are you at now with this other career? I guess that you're launching. Sure. All right. So for those of you who do not know, in addition to playing poker, I received my master's in counseling psychology, became a certified clinical hypnotherapist through the American Council of Hypnotist Examiners, uh, or ACHE. That's the acronym for that. I'm finally ready to start my private practice after getting my insurance approved and will be offering a limited amount of uh, free introductory and uh, regular sessions for the first couple of months as I begin the process of building my practice. Uh, if anyone is interested in taking advantage of these sessions or know someone who would be interested in giving hypnotherapy a try, please reach out to me at my business email, hypnojohn, J-O-H-N 23 at gmail.com. And sessions will usually be done remotely through Skype, DoxyMe, or Discord. After the limited amount of free sessions is completed, introductory sessions will still be free, but regular sessions will uh, begin to be charged. And thank you very much for letting me share that. And I'm looking forward to seeing where that goes. So well, I have you know, a little thing written up for it. Uh, yeah, it. <laughs> I, I like that. I like, I like when people are prepared. That's awesome. That sounds really good. And feel free to send that to me. I can put that out in our, our show sure. notes as well. Thank but, you very much. You know, the, the reason that fascinates me so much, I mean, I love, there's, there's poker players, you know, we, we have lives beyond poker. And I Definitely. love hearing <laughs> I love that, you poker, know, really? Like what? That's crazy. Oh. No, he's, he's got a World Series <laughs> of Poker bracelet. He can't do anything besides play poker. But, you know, I mean, the conversations that I've had with you, I've just so much enjoyed them. Uh, I just enjoy your heart and I enjoy, enjoy how you think about the world and how you approach the world and all of these different things. I mean, I have so much respect for you as a person. Um, you know, we haven't played a lot of poker together, you know, thank God, because you'd have all my chips, <laughs> you and Somsky, but, um, you know, but, but no, I mean, I've, I've found your path, your journey really interesting to me. And so I'm kind of curious what, what motivated you to get into psychology? Like, is there, you know, what, what was it? Has just always been interested or, or so, in hypnotherapy specifically, which I really don't know anything about other sure. than 
standing here going, do me, do me. You know, <laughs> what does that, what does that do? But like, you know, what, tell, tell us kind of the journey of how you got into that. Yeah. I mean, it was a very, I took, <laughs> I came at life in a very unique way, I think. So my mom was actually a psychiatrist. So kind of growing up in that atmosphere was very, very challenging because she'll like always know if you're telling the truth or <laughs> lying or whatever. So I was like trying to distance myself from that as much as possible for a while. But then when I was traveling and playing tournaments, like at various scenes or whatever, I start talking to people and then it start getting deep and they tell me like things like, I don't know why I'm telling you this or I've never told this to anybody before. And it started happening so often and like frequently that I was like, huh, I wonder if there's somewhere I could start using this. And that took me back into getting my undergrad at undergraduate in psychology and then master's in counseling psychology. So, so interestingly enough, it came through poker, but had a very roundabout way of getting there. Do you, do you feel like the, the studying of psychology has somehow helped you at the table or vice versa? The fact that you play poker and, you know, has, has somehow helped you in, in this realm? I think like all my experiences have very much helped me as a poker player, just my life experiences, my, my study of psychology and counseling psychology, my experiences just traveling constantly for tournaments for a long period of time. I mean, the difficulties that I had growing up, I mean, um, there's just a lot of things that kind of made me into who I am now, which I'm very thankful for. It wasn't easy all the mm -hmm. time, but I'm very thankful for where I am now from it. Well, John, sounds good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Elliot Rowe is uh, a hypnotherapist who has is. devoted a lot of his career towards, uh, yeah, working with Peter Holtz, matter mm -hmm. of fact, that you mentioned earlier, uh, and spending a lot of time in the poker community using uh, hypnosis for that. Have mm -hmm. you thought about doing offering something for poker players as well, given that you you're particularly well suited for that. Yes, yeah. Um, it's it's going to depend to like if I know you very well, I do not want to be doing deep sessions with you. But like if um, somebody else, like I may play poker with maybe one time, or like they have like a friend or somebody that um, could use some help, then I'd be much more adamant about working with them. But even if it's somebody I know well, just strictly helping with like the poker game, helping with concentration, helping with focus, that's completely fine. So it just depends on what type of session we'd be doing. So there are some things that you could specifically do to help poker players. So yeah, maybe uh, I'm, because I'm an idiot, I'll ask the question. Like, so, you know, hypno, I hear hypnotherapy and I hear hypnosis. I hear either the <laughs> The guy, the you know, the traveling guy that goes on stage and makes people pretend like they're waking up, you know, yep. in water. To, <laughs> that's you know, stage hypnotism. You know, like, right? But that's sort of what you know the 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 very basic sort of thing. But like, talk a little bit about like how how could, I mean, either hypnotherapy or some of the other things that you talked about to increase focus or meditation or some of the things that you've been involved with or you have expertise and like how how could that help me as a poker player or you know any poker player out there. So for one, I just want to like go like talk a little bit about what hypnotherapy is. So like yeah. you mentioned stage hypnotism, like you get up on stage, act ridiculous. Right. Um, they put you <laughs> into like a state of mind where you're just really comfortable acting ridiculous. And then they kind of give you a lot of suggestions of how to act like, I don't know, bark like a dog, whatever. Right. Um, hypnotherapy is much more like constructive. Um, so what, when I think of hypnotherapy, I think of it as a much more directive form of CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. So where you're helping somebody navigate their mind. So what you're doing is it's like kind of like a guided meditation. You take somebody into their most relaxed state possible and where they're ready to go in that session, they'll guide themselves. But fortunately, they're in their most relaxed state of mind. So what um, happens in regular CBT cognitive behavioral therapy is people get blocked. Their defense mechanisms kind of spring up. And it's like, oh, no, I don't want to work on that. Nah, I, that's, that's a difficult thing for me. But if you're very relaxed and comfortable, you might be ready to bypass that in your hypnotic state. So you're able to access parts of your mind you didn't know were there, parts that could really help you going forward, parts that could help you understand who you really are, which you might have shied away from in the past and 
the use cases for it are just drastically growing. It, it's just, it's just a new field. So it's, it's just still kind of out there, but what, what is this? What exactly does this do? But, um, it's pretty special. Yeah. And interesting like, stuff. Yeah. Did you have something else to add there? Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, like you mentioned, like how kind of use a poker table. I <laughs> not practically in a sense, but just kind of like understanding of, you want to be as comfortable as possible when you're playing. If you're getting agitated, you're just mm. not going to play your game. So, I mean, doing self-hypnosis on yourself, putting yourself in the most kind of like a sense of deep relaxation. You don't have to go under for that. You, like um, where you like close your eyes and are just more kind of meditative, but you can always kind of quiet your mind. So you're just focusing on what you need to do at that given time. So it's something that's probably just helpful for, the person themselves rather than like kind of knowing how it affects somebody else. Is, is that sort of akin to like, you know, when we're making decisions, like, you know, just taking emotion out of the decision so you can make the best logical decision. Is that, is that the same thing or is that kind of a different thing from what you're talking about? I think it'd be pretty similar in that sense. So like for that application of hypnotherapy, yes, you want to put yourself in a relaxed state. So where you're thinking like a poker player, like your job at the poker table is to be a poker player, best play the best poker you can play. So you want to try to not have other things on your mind while you're doing that. So um, being applicable, you just do it on yourself, put yourself in a relaxed state to have that sense of what's going on. But to learn it, to teach it, um, to help somebody else kind of discover how to get there. Cause you don't just like kind of flip a switch and like, Oh, okay, I'm there. It, it takes a lot of practice actually to really be centered, really be calm, really be ready to play, really leave other things that are not applicable to the poker table there, not bring them to the poker table with you. I have struggled with this for so long. Like I, br- I bring my, I still bring my emotions in from time to time at the poker table, but I've definitely done it even worse in the past. So it just takes a lot of experience of getting used to this is what I want to do at this time. It's just another game. So, okay. So, so I've got some little, little shotgun questions okay. for you. Don't so you. We're, we're getting close to the end and, and again, panelists feel free to chime in, but um, no you know, as I was thinking, listening to this, like, I just need to ask him a few questions. I'm going to put you on the spot. Obviously none of these questions we sure. prepared. So, um, so what what's what are the things or the one thing that recreational poker players do too much? Like when you're playing and it kind of is fill in the blank or kind of a shotgun short answer, but just recreational players do this too much. I mean, the thing that comes to mind right away is emotions, like might get a little bit too emotional when things don't go your way. And I mean, I struggled with that for a long time too. Like it's just, it's something where just over having lots of experience, understanding how much it affects your game when it's like kind of maladaptive to the process of thinking through hands. Like you can, emotions is kind of an interesting thing. You don't want to be like mute. You don't want to be a robot because you want to understand how other people's emotions are affecting them at the table. You want Mm -hmm. to understand when they're about to get more aggressive because they're getting a little bit tilted when they might tighten up because they're being a little bit more calm. And also it kind of helps um, orient you to kind of create like a, a rough basis of what their playing style is going to be like based off of their emotional state at that time. And that person might not play that way in every given tournament. That's why when I sit down, I really like to focus on how that person is playing that day. I don't like to hear the history of how that person's played in the past. They might just play differently today. Hmm. As you get more experience and become like more professional, the way you play is going to be much um, closer to kind of your norm, closer to your average. You're, you're not going to deviate from that too much versus if you're wreck, it, it, it's just going to, it might deviate a lot more. Yeah. So what, what do you think those things are that <clears throat> sort of what, what are the humps that players get over? You know what I mean? Like, like, you know, there's a whole bunch of, there's millions of us players that are playing these small tournaments with, you know, whatever moderate success. And then there's the people that get through that and they make the, they make the jump to the next level. And then there's people that make the jump to the next level. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what do you think are those, whether it's mental or whether it's strategic or whatever, what are those, those, 
things that people start the, you know, the light bulb goes off where it's like, okay, those people now understand this. And that's what getting, that's what getting them to the next level, maybe specifically with tournaments. I mean, it's, um, you can't be results oriented. You, you really just have to look at how you played each hand and understand why you're playing each hand that way. And the more you can describe to other people why you're playing it that way, the better you're going to be because you're consciously trying to figure out why it was you played in that way. You might not be correct, but you're consciously trying to figure out why you want to play in that way. So just being very like conscious when you're at the table, being aware of everything going on around you and also being aware of what you're doing and how you're feeling is very, very important. It's going to help you like understand when you're about to maybe get tilted when you're about to, excuse me, deviate from your normal style of play. And GTO is just going to be the best tool for somebody to learn at the beginning. You want to have a strong fundamental background in poker. That is going to be extremely important. And then you want to start bringing into other things like psychology, like um, um, emotions, um, feel plays. I mean, just you bring that in after you've created a really sound fundamental game. And I actually did it backwards. Unfortunately, I created a much more feel-based game and Mm. then have started to get much more fundamentally sound over the last few years. And now reincorporating my feel game back into it, which is, I'm very happy where it is right now. See where it goes. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) See how many bracelets you get this year. That'd that'd be awesome. (laughs) How many? It's not, not, not if, it's how many. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm curious, like, are there any, or are there any like strategic things that you've personally overcome in what I mean by that are either like situations where you used to feel either kind of lost or like, you know, just that you hated being in these situations and then you figured something out or something clicked and now it no longer bothers you, whether it's like, you know, boy, being three bet a lot or having people donk bet into you or being check raised or playing middle playing second pair out of position or, you know, ace king that doesn't connect or, you know, are there, are there any of those spots where you're like, boy, I used to just feel lost in this and now I'm, now I'm found, you know, know, sort of this, this, this idea of, you know, overcoming some of these, these things that a lot of us wrecks still struggle with. So the big, big thing about poker is you want to pay attention to each hand and kind of think of it as a story. And if the story doesn't make sense it's going to tend to be a bluff more often than if it makes sense then it's going to tend to be for value and then based off of then you like start to um pay attention to how you're playing each hand and now what am am i doing uh what um what i am doing right now is it making sense or is it not making sense not just bluffing for the sake of bluffing but understand why you're bluffing and then you can start to incorporate hero calls because you put somebody on the range of this is what they're repping with this type of hand. Um, my, my, like you'll know what they're doing for value and what they're doing as bluffs. So then if you can like narrow down, um, their value range to, I don't know, um, like polarized, I don't know, like set straight or whatever you can start in or, um, you can start calling with ace high or king high or pair of deuces or whatever. If you realize their bluffs have to then um, cannot even incorporate like an ace high here. It has to um, incorporate like a missed straight draw, a missed flush draw mm-hmm. with some combo of cards. And it just comes from experience. You, you just play a bunch of hands and you start to see if it makes sense or if it doesn't make sense. And then you talk to people that you respect and go, does this make sense to you? Or how would you play this situation? Yeah. And it's really important for bluffs to think this way because if it's not going to make sense, you're normally going to probably get looked up. <laughs> so you <laughs> you got to really understand why you're bluffing and what you're trying to rep on each street with these sizes and know what these sizes represent. So, I mean, you have a hand that can, like, I'd say, like, how to do it or I'd try to say how to do it, but, like, it it just comes from you take one hand at a time in that right. mindset. So here, so 
Uh, I'll ask you one more question. Unless anybody else has anything, uh, I'm always watching for like the mute buttons to go off. That usually means people have a question, but uh, <laughs> I'm just like in the candy store. I'll just keep asking questions. Uh, so I'll, I'll ask you one more, and then we'll, we'll kind of let you go. I know we were at about time that we've uh, no they've committed to. Um, so I'll just get some personal coaching from you, and you can decide if it's <laughs> poker coaching or psychological coaching. So I and I'm getting I would say better at this. I don't know if that's the right word or not, but I love to hero call. Um, and so and Rob's, Rob's nodding his head because I love to do it too. <laughs> he just value bets the crap out of me because he knows I love the hero call. Um, but, nice. but you know, I, I think I, I'm, I don't know if that's like a logical thing. I don't know if that's a psychological thing, but maybe this is where part of the intersection of what you can offer poker players or the world in general is this, you know, how do, how should I be thinking about that? I feel I don't feel like it's an addiction, but I've described it some ways that way. Like I'm addicted to hero calling. Like I love to hero call. Like I would rather hero call than to make a, a triple barrel bluff that gets through, even though sure. both, both are great. So there, there's something about it, about making that call against somebody who makes an aggressive play at the end. And I know I'm not always using the right logic in that. And I no. think it's a losing play because I think I'm, I'm over hero calling. But what, so, what would you coach me? Help me. Help me when you want a hero call is when you've narrowed down the range to just a select few hands. You know this is what they're repping with their value. This is what they're repping with their bluffs. Like this is why they have to bet to bluff here. This is yeah. why they're bluffing. And this is what their value hands are. And then that's when you can hero call. If the range is too wide that you're putting them on, you, you should tend to not hero call. Maybe check raise them or re-raise them on the river if you want to bluff in that way. But probably don't want to hear a call. So, so if I look at those spots and um, if I look at those spots and I say, okay, I don't know that I really did the logical deduction necessary there. Like exactly. Cause they're, they're polarized. Right. I mean, that's why you're calling. They're either, mm-hmm. it's a yes. big value bet or yes. it's, or it's a bluff. And if I'm not really thinking through how many combos of each and the size of the pot and all those things, I just call because I want to hero call. <laughs> like, is that more of a, a psychological issue or what's going on with me there? <laughs> I'm putting, putting John this so like, earn your money, John. I don't know your entire history. I know, right? It's exactly. What's what, wrong what with make me? You might want to do it that way. But I mean, maybe we I need to take this offline. Analyze your game very strictly to see. I need some of those sessions. Actor just a part of your game. Yeah. It's, it's well, hard to answer. No, I, like I, I'm putting you on the spot there. <laughs> I, I, I just have, a, I do have a feeling, kind of a general statement. I have a feeling, you know, that that falls more into psychological. A response and it is a logical response and, and that's where I, I need to explore that and that's where maybe the power of psychology could help me a little bit sure <laughs> and I, I don't like to be definitely bullied <laughs> <laughs> i definitely didn't too when i was <laughs> I did you say that was that was one of the issues that you can overcame over hero calling mm-hmm. well so like i definitely over like over hero called too much earlier too but now i've like limited it more to when i'm like really like I feel confident that this, these are like specific few type of hands that they have left here. And that's when I'll do it. Like I'm more often like I'll re-raise. Like if I can't, yeah. if the range is wider, I'm just going to try to bluff them off the weaker range. Yeah. So it's just, um, you don't want to lean towards hero calling for the sake of hero calling. You, you like in a typical tournament, maybe twice and like 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 a when i think of like a hero call too i think of like like a bottom pair or right. like ace high or king high right. or something like that queen high like it just so, something that's really out there that you've really pinpointed in why the hand's being played this way and you know when you can predict like on the turn normally how what they're going to bet on the turn and then what they're going to bet on the river. That makes you a lot more comfortable too of putting in the hero call. Cause you already know kind of what's about to happen. Mm. So you want to try to think before the street, like when you're just going, Oh, I should hero call on the street. You yeah, want to right. revert it and try to start thinking what I'm going to hero call with on the flop and turn if they bet it in this particular way. And this is after you play with them for a while, knowing kind of like their patterns of how they bet normally on various hand boards yeah well good stuff well anything else from uh panelists guys anything 
to add in here. Everybody seems like they're good. Thumbs up there. All right. Well, well, John, kind of give us the, the last deal. Kind of. So, well, maybe this is a good good spot to ask you about the Kikomo eighty eight on Twitter. So, uh, <laughs> do, would you like to share why why Kikomo eighty eight? What's the What's the rationale? Somebody took Kikimo on uh, Twitter, so I, I couldn't have just Kikimo, but Kikimo, K-I-K-A-M-O, was my um, full tilt handle. So that was like where I had some good tournament poker scores in the past. Is there a meaning behind that that I'm unaware of? Just made it up. It's like, okay, Kik- and somebody would tell me I mean, okay. it was like 2009. Okay, so Kikimo88, so K-I-K-A-M-O-88 mm-hmm. uh, on Twitter if you want to follow John and uh, did you want to share your email one more time at all or any of your, your website sure. or where people can reach out to you if they're interested in the, the hypnotherapy? Sure. Uh, uh, be hypno, H-Y-P-N-O, John, J-O-H-N, 23, at gmail.com. And if you're interested, just please just don't hesitate. Just send me, send me an email and go from there. Awesome. Yeah, and if you're listening out there and you, didn't, you weren't sure of what you heard there or whatever, feel free to reach out to me and I can connect you with John. Uh, as well. Happy to do that. We'll put all of John's info on the, the show notes and, and that sort of thing. But John, man, thanks for joining us. Uh, Thank we you love for having, having me. It was wonderful. We love having bracelet winners <laughs> on the show. And you know, you're one of those good Minnesota folks that we love chatting with. So thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> all right. So you can feel free to sign off if you want, or you can hang around and listen to all of our exciting announcements. That's, <laughs> that's your call, young man. Uh, but we will, uh, we will share some announcements here. So guys, just uh, as, as you know, we've got the we got the home games coming up here. Uh, we got John. Why don't you uh, lead us in that discussion? I know John's kind of coordinating all of these <laughs> free Poker Star home games. Uh, John, why don't you tell us kind of what's coming up? Yeah, we've got uh, our home games will be again on the first and second Wednesday of the month. First Wednesday of the month, of course, is our No Limit Hold'em series, and the second Wednesday of the month is our Mixed Game series. For February, we have. Deuce to seven, no limit deuce to seven single draw as our game. <clears throat> this is the same game that Christian Pham accidentally entered and won his first bracelet with. So maybe you should uh, accidentally decide to play on Tuesday and <laughs> you could win your first direct poker event. I love it. I'm going to Christian Pham this thing, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope know. you do. Yeah, I'm sure you do. Whatever, Mr. Mixed Games. <laughs> No, it's super fun, man. I just, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate doing this. And, you know, it's fun to be able to tell people that we're doing it. And I think the numbers have been good, uh, you know, learning the mixed games and having a good time with that. And I know we've been talking about uh, doing some awards for different things for rec poker. And we're looking at having pins or something we give out for those who, uh, you know, who win one of these home game tournaments. And then you're also, John, you're also keeping track of player of the year points too, right? So this is for all of 2020, people could win player of the year. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, there's two separate player of the years, one for the No Limit Hold'em and then one for the uh, Mixed Game Tournaments. So we're not playing for money, but it does give you, put a little bit more on the line. We're playing for this trophy. We're playing for points. So you got to bring your A game if you want to come and win that, uh, win the player of the year race. Yeah, and a lot of good players. That's one of the some of the feedback that I've gotten from a couple of people is, man, where else can you play like a free game that's actually this competitive? You know, usually if, if people play Poker Stars or wherever, it's just like it's kind of just people don't care. I mean, people care <laughs> in this own game. Well, not only that, but you also have the chance to uh, actually play with all many of the hosts on this panel. They don't always show up to every uh, tournament, but many of them show up for a lot of them. So that's a plus bonus. And if you're a member of our private community, uh, our paid community, then you can even watch us as we record our thoughts in the game. So you might even see a hand you're being that you're in and commentary on that particular hand. And it's a lot of fun, particularly in the mixed games when people are saying like, well, is this a good hand in this game? I don't really know, but it seems like it should be, so I'm going to raise. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, just fantastic amounts of fun I, and a and great community. I feel seen, John. I feel seen. <laughs> oh, you're not the only one who made uh, <laughs> no, comments <you're> <laughs> like that. Oh, but no, I mean, I was literally laughing out loud. I know it's the LOL thing, but I was literally laughing out loud. Uh, watching Chris Jones's stuff, it was just so funny. So, like you said, John, it's great. It's a great combination, I think, of 
great insight. Most of us are, you know, played Nolan and Hold'em, so we have some our thoughts, whether it's great or not, it's different. John's a very good mixed game player, so his thoughts are very helpful in terms of learning the game. You know, some of the rest of us are, you know, learning it as we go. We hopefully we have some good insights, but there are some funny moments too. So I think it's a good combination. Yeah, it's uh, a great time. So thanks for organizing that. And Chris, do you have anything you want to share about uh, the content stuff that we have coming up for our members? Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. So we're, again, we're starting these sort of these monthly themes uh, for the members starting in February. Um, so February is going to be, um, we're going back to basics, uh, stacks and position we're going to be talking about. So there'll be a lot of member content coming your way. We're still having a few conversations what that's going to look like, but we'll have a seminar in place. I'm looking at some um, hand histories like we've been doing, but specifically focused around issues where stacks and position come up. Um, in fact, uh, the, uh, the tournament that John Redding just came second in the avalanche, I've got some hands already from that, uh, that we'll be talking about. Um, and, um, and those, uh, those monthly themes are going to build up, um, over the course of the, the spring into the summer leading to, hopefully they kind of, uh, build together and sort of let people understand like approaching your first big multi-day MTT, or even if it's not your first, uh, how to, how to approach those in a more sort of calculated way. Um, with the idea that maybe some of us are headed to the WSOP and want to want a better chance of taking a crack there. So I'm really excited uh, for those contents and those they'll be starting in February. Yeah. Th- and thanks for doing that, Chris. I mean, like, you know, I feel like we've been putting out some good content the last several months for our members and stuff, but now it's uh, Chris has helped form this into a real strategic approach to building blocks for us recreational players and even those that have a lot more of experience, you know, here's the stuff that you know, the foundation, but then with a strategic plan to build that up and keep growing on that. So I'm, I think it's a huge win for anybody that's able to participate in that. So thanks for doing that. And then, all right. So we have got upcoming guests. Our schedule continues to fill up with, with cool guests. So if you haven't heard, here's the next, uh, next several weeks, uh, Fedor Holtz next week, uh, Dara O'Kearney. I keep saying Dara or Dara. I still have to decide how I'm going to say that. Uh, I think it's Dara O'Kearney wrote the book on the satellites. K.L. Cleeton from Range Trainer Pro. Ed Miller, a great uh, great poker player and author. Maria Ho is locked in for February 24th. We shall see, hopefully. Uh, Jen Shahadi, uh, March 2nd. March 9th is Zach Elwood. Uh, We got one week open. We got March 16th is available right now. We'll see who jumps in there. Uh, Then we got Ian Matakis, who is locked in now for March 23rd, and then Matt Berkey uh, in early April. So some great guests coming up, uh, continuing to look for more and more people to uh, expose you guys to and to help talk about recreational poker. So should be a lot of fun. Uh, Running Aces Players of the Week last week, Dave Elke, back-to-back championships. Nice job. Michael Babker, who is part of Rec Poker Nation, had a very nice week uh, last week, including second in the double stack. Uh, he actually took second to Rich Cottrell, who won the Avalanche Tournament. So Rich is on a quite the heater there. Uh, John Perva and Devin Drift, uh, running aces players of the week. Uh, the Binks, hey, if you if you bink a tournament, meaning if you win a tournament, um, put it out on Discord. Uh, that's where I'm looking to kind of communicate this. So if you text me or email me or whatever, sometimes I remember, sometimes I don't. Put it out on Discord, man. That's where we can make sure we got it. But we have four uh, binks from Rec Poker Nation over the last week. David Bear uh, turning 50 bucks into 1650 with an outright win. Way to go, David. Again, he's a beast. Carter Jones uh, took an online tournament from $11 to $2,761. Way to go, Carter. He's a beast. And the last two are Michael Babker, who I just talked about, 40 bucks into 601 and then 150 into 1820. So a nice little tear that Michael's on there. So if I forgot anybody, uh, I apologize for that. Uh, a couple of other just quick high-level announcements. There's a ton of ways to connect with us. Uh, the easiest way is go to rec.poker. Check out everything. If you have any questions, get a hold of me. Sign up for the newsletter. Uh, we send out a newsletter every week or two. Um, and that tries to give you all that information. Get on Discord. That's another free service. It's basically a community texting group discussion structure, uh, and it's a way to just kind of share some thoughts and build community that way. Uh, if you're interested in merchandise, we have that for sale as well. You can check that out on the website. Um, I mean, anything else from the panel, anything else we're missing that uh, Rec Poker Nation should be aware of? Uh, I see some heads shaking. 
All right. So just thanks to the panel. Uh, thanks to everybody who was able to, to join us uh, with John Redding. That was fantastic. I thought that was a fun interview. A little different than some of the other stuff we've talked about, a little less strategy, a little more psychology. Uh, and I appreciate John a lot. And, and uh, you know, he, he talked quite a bit about the community uh, in the Minnesota poker community and broader. And I think uh, he touches on some pretty cool things there for sure. Uh, but go, if, you, if you're looking for some way to support us, go out wherever you listen to the podcast, like us, rate us, review us, uh, retweet us, whatever that is. Um, and, uh, and that's a, that's a great benefit to us because it gives us some more exposure and they just let other people know about us. So we'll sign off there with again, a special thanks to running aces, racetrack, casino, and hotel, as well as learn pro poker. We will chat with you next week. Thanks guys.